As uh, Kevin mentioned earlier, we are starting four-part uh, series on the book of Ruth. Uh, we'll be in the first chapter of Ruth this morning. Uh, I'm going to ask you to go ahead and stand as I read uh, from the 16th and 17th verses of Ruth chapter 1. Ruth replied, Do not urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. It's good uh, to be together to literally be together. Um, I don't know about y'all, but I've come to anticipate our summer months uh, where we're one combined service. Um, I really, uh, I just appreciate it. I like being able to be with um, this body uh, all at once. Uh, and it's always exciting. Uh, this past Thursday, Anna and I began our third year here in San Angelo, which does not seem possible. No, no, oh, oh gosh. And that's all. Let's stand and sing. Um, no, but it's really been a blessing. Um, we've been blessed to be embraced by the family uh, that meets in this place. Uh, if you're visiting, uh, you may find yourself in a bit of an uncomfortable uh, position, a place you don't normally find yourself. And as I always tell you, when I am in this capacity, so do I. Uh, I do not usually do this. Um, I'm usually uh, doing what Brian's doing, but Brian, I appreciate you very much. Um, if you'll go ahead and uh, pray with me as we get started. Father, how good and pleasant it is for brothers and sisters to dwell together in unity. And how great is your love that you have lavished on us that we can be called your children. We gather in your presence to hear your words. I pray that they are not my own. Uh, open our ears, soften our hearts, make us more and more like you each day. In your name we pray, amen. So something else that goes along with these uh, combined hours in the summertime, uh, if you're not, uh, maybe, maybe if you're a visitor, you're not kind of wondering, is this, is this different? Um, something else that normally would happen around this time is we dismiss kids ages, I believe, four through second grade to classes they have prepared for them. Uh, well, their teachers get a bit of a break as well uh, during the summer months, which I know that they sorely need. Um, but I want to take a second. If you are ages four through second grade, how many of y'all are there? If, you're, if you would normally be in kids, Megan, come on. You're, gosh. <laughs> oh, man. If you're normally, if you would normally ages four through second grade, how many of y'all do we have here? You can put your hands nice and high. Do I see a couple of you? There we go. Okay. Now, if you would normally be in kids' time, you're used to being dismissed. And I'm going to dismiss you from your seat just for a second to come up here because I have something I need you to do for me. All right? So if you normally be in kids' time, you're fourth through second grade, even if you're a little bit older, a little bit younger, come on up here because I have a question I need to ask you and I need you to, I need you to help me out with something. What's up, guys? So glad y'all can be here. All right. Oh, man. Man, you teachers really do need a break. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Hey, guys. All right. So my question, my question for you, it's really brief. Oh, wow. oh, there we go. Line up. There we go. Let's do it. Okay. So I'm going to ask you to do something that your parents probably always discourage you from doing, and that's to yell in church, okay? Now, 
I'm going to count to three, okay? Oh, we got everybody? Okay. I'm going to count to three. And when I count to three, I need you to shout at the top of your lungs what your favorite Disney movie is, okay? Does everybody have one in their head? Everybody got one in their head? Is everybody ready? You know what? I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask y'all, parents, grandparents, or even if you're not related, I'm going to ask you to do the same thing so we have kind of a, we're going to meet, the, the sound's going to meet in the middle. Maybe we'll get a little mini thunderstorm. Um, so I'm going to ask y'all at the same time to shout out your favorite Disney movie at the same time as these guys, the more seasoned veterans of Disney, are going to yell out their favorite Disney movie, okay? So I need y'all to set a good example for your kids and yell in church, okay? Everybody on three. Is everybody ready? Everybody ready? One, two, three. Beauty and the Beast. I don't know what any of you said. Did anybody say Frozen? Anybody? Have, I thought I'd have a couple Frozen. Are there any Frozens out here? Well, we do have a couple. Okay. So y'all aren't sick of Let It Go yet. Or you are. No? Okay. All right. I wish I had more for you, but that's all. Thank you. I appreciate it. Y'all are great. Give them a hand. So what I'm going to zero in on, personally, mine's Beauty and the Beast, um, and I got the privilege of a microphone, so haha. Um, Beauty and the Beast is one of my favorite. Love the live action one that just came out. But I want to focus for a bit on Frozen. If you don't know of the movie Frozen, if you don't know a child under the age of seven, or if after church you'll be going back to your home under a rock, then I will explain to you uh, in a, just a minute the story of Frozen. Basically, the premise is you have two sisters, Elsa and Anna, and they have a bit of an awkward relationship because of Elsa's magical power uh, to create snow and ice out of nothing. So who hasn't been there? Uh, Their parents die because it's a Disney movie, and (laughs) And Anna meets a prince, and they get engaged because it's a Disney movie. And then Elsa gets mad because she feels out of the loop, and so naturally she brings an endless winter to the kingdom of Arendelle. And Anna with the help of her sister, a merchant, a cute boy, and a snowman, eventually rescues Arendelle from her sister, a merchant, a cute boy, and a snowman. So there's your basic premise of the movie, uh, Frozen. And unlike in most Disney movies, the climactic moment of this movie is true love's... True love's... What reverses the curse, people? True love's kiss. Thank you. But unlike most Disney movies... In this instance, true love's kiss is not uh, a romantic one. Uh, In Frozen, Anna needs to make up with her sister to regain her trust. And the kiss is a bit of like a sisterly peck on the cheek of true affection and reconciliation. Rather than resolving the conflict with a classic romance, that movie, uh, it brings about its change. Uh, The moment brings uh, a positive Uh, restoration of family love, which brings us, of course, to the book of Ruth. (laughs) I've not, this is kind of interesting as I was kind of doing some research, I've not really seen or heard many sermons about Ruth, and the ones I've come across kind of make me cringe a little bit. One series I came across was entitled, Desperate Housewives of the Bible, How a Woman Gets Her Man. I don't have time to delve into all the reasons that that really doesn't do justice to this story uh, or to Ruth or to any of the other exemplary women in scripture who are probably included in that unfortunate sermon series. Um, sometimes you've got to leave it to us church people to take a story about a woman named about a woman and fast forward to the part where the man comes in. Um, 
That man's name is Boaz, and we'll hear about him later, and he's mentioned in your bulletin, uh, but that's the last time that you're going to hear about Boaz this morning. Come back next week if you want to hear more about Boaz. I'm not really surprised, though, that we tend to do that. Um, We live in a world that emphasizes romantic love above all other loves, and the church does this in sort of an opposite way that culture does, but again, that's a different sermon. Uh, We're all guilty of romanticizing romance. I don't necessarily believe uh, that the story of Ruth is primarily written as a guide for a God-honoring romantic relationship. There are romantic elements, sure, but the romance of Ruth is not the main theme of this story. Rather, it's built on the foundation of family commitment. If anything, we could say that a God-honoring romantic relationship is impossible without commitment first to family. So if you're not already there, go ahead, open your Bibles or your Bible apps uh, to Ruth chapter 1. Now before we start, uh, it's it's very important, of course, uh, to recognize the severe patriarchal world that these people are living in. Uh, For a woman in this time, uh, without a man, there's really no story, there's no sustainable life, no what have you. So that said, let's pick up in verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem in Judah went to live in the country of Moab, he and his wife and two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons, Ramalon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. First couple verses, we have all the men's names. Perfect. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. It's okay, we still got two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. When they had lived there about ten years, both Malon and Chilion also died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she started to return with her daughters-in-law from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had considered his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she had been living, she and her two daughters-in-law, and they went on their way to go back to the land of Judah. The end? I'm sort of joking, but I'm also not, because in that world, like I said, without a man in the picture, these women are really left to fend for themselves in a world that really doesn't put much value on them. In fact, they would even be considered a liability, especially Naomi as an older woman, as we're about to see here. Verse 8, but Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find security each in the house of your husband. Then she kissed them and they wept aloud. They said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Do I still have sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. Even if I thought there was hope for me, even if, I should have, even if I should have a husband tonight and bear sons, would you then wait until they are grown? Would you then refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, it has been far more bitter for me than you, because the hand of the Lord has turned against me. 
So at this point in history, there is really one thing that the rest of the world values women for, and that one thing is the ability to bear children. And this is why, as you can see, Naomi encourages her daughters-in-law to leave, to go and find another husband, because that's how they'll find their value in this world. They're probably young enough to remarry, bear children, recycle back into the system, and be found productive for some other man to possess. We said earlier that this story isn't primarily a romance. And through the first 13 verses, to really understand this the way the original audience might understand it, it really plays more like a horror movie. Because half of the characters named are already dead. Um, to really understand how they would have heard this, uh, this uh, desire of Orpah and Ruth to stay with their mother-in-law, basically imagine watching an old horror movie and watching the main character walk toward the creepy noise down the hallway. You're thinking, no, stop, turn around, right? Why are you moving toward certain death and demise? You know, those movies would all last about 20 minutes if the people in them acted like normal human beings, right? Verse 14. And they wept aloud again. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And I think this is pretty important. If you look back in verse 9, you see Naomi as she encourages her daughters-in-law to leave. Uh, she, she makes this, this, this statement and she, tell, and she kisses them. She gives them each a kiss. And they both decline at first, but Orpah does eventually leave and she kisses her mother-in-law back and goes on her way. Some of your translations might say Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. That goodbye is kind of added in there for context. really just says that she kissed her mother-in-law. But Ruth clung to her mother-in-law. I think, I think the expressions of love in this text are meaningful. While a kiss can be a, a deeper, more intimate and emotional expression of love, really just reserved for family and a significant other, it's also brief. It lasts for a split second and it's gone. Here in this text, the kiss represents parting. But Ruth's embrace is an expression of commitment through thick and thin. Orpah's kiss says goodbye forever, but Ruth's embrace simply says forever. Verse 15. Naomi said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not pressure me to leave you or to turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you live, I will live. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord do thus and so to me and more as well if even death parts me from you. This is a text that uh, if you've been to a wedding in the last couple of years, you might have heard at that wedding. Um, it's, it's a text that many songs have been written out of. Uh, Chris Tomlin used this text to write a love song to God. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. But I think we've become so familiar with the text, we don't really recognize how much weight it holds. Because this, this, this commitment, this covenant is not one made with God. 
this covenant is made with Naomi. There are two things God isn't here. For one thing, God is not the subject of the covenant. Ruth makes a covenant to Naomi, and God is an object of it. If Naomi were to decide to follow another God, Ruth's commitment is so strong to her, to Naomi, that we're left to believe that she would probably serve whatever God Naomi served. Even something so serious as faith and, and, and worship, in this text, that's how strong Ruth's commitment to Naomi is, that even those things depend on what her mother-in-law does. Not only that, but the your God, my God moment is not even the climax of the covenant. In other Old Testament writings, we see when somebody dies, um, it's often said that they, you know, that, that person passes on, they lived this many years, and they were gathered to their fathers or gathered to their ancestors. Um, the ultimate sign of respect for that culture would be to, as you die, to be gathered back with your family. Joseph, if you're uh, in, in, in Genesis, when Joseph has gone to Egypt and that whole saga when he's about to die, he makes his brothers promise, take my bones away from this place. Gather me back to my forefathers. Ruth says, your God will be my God. I will die where you die. And the final resting place for my bones will be with you. That's the most serious commitment that a person could make to another person. This is not a story of romance. This is a story about family. It's not the book about how Ruth finds a husband. It's the book about how Ruth gains a mother. And in a family, there is messiness and discomfort. Just a few lines down, after Ruth makes this grand gesture of a statement, Naomi, whose name, Naomi, Ruth's, or, Reed's going to pronounce all these names right next week, but Naomi literally means pleasant. And a couple verses down, she changes her name to Mara, which means bitter. Because as she puts it in verse 21, she says, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has dealt harshly with me and the Almighty has brought calamity on me? Does she say... God's blessed me with a great daughter-in-law who is committed to me through thick and thin and she's going to be with me and take care of me in my old age. No, she says, I've come back empty. Seems like it doesn't take long for Naomi to just forget because in families, isn't that kind of what happens? Whether in your immediate family, your church family, whatever it may be, as soon as you kind of feel like you've got some good momentum, things kind of just fall back to status quo. In a traditional romance, the story would end with the poetic expression of love. It would be where you go, I go, you stay, I stay, where you move, I move, I will follow you, and they lived happily ever after. But with family and relationship, commitment is something that happens every day. It's a choice that is made over and over again. It's a grace that is offered in every action and conversation. It is not glamorous and sometimes it's embarrassing but it's ours I'm going to take a second and speak directly to uh, to members to those of you that have been in this family for a while 
I think on a day like today, with so many of us worshiping with each other for maybe the first time in a long time, I think maybe today we need a reminder of how families ought to treat each other. Whether immediate family or the church family that's gathered here this morning. Because I think sometimes it's easier for us to say, where you go, I'll be sure to have plans elsewhere. Or where you live, I'll just avoid that part of town. Or your people don't think like my people, so I'll stick to my people. The world has enough of these attitudes already, and I think it doesn't need more from those of us who claim to follow Jesus. I think if the church is to be countercultural in this climate that we live in today, it must seek ways to be more inclusive rather than more divisive. Shifting from members. Okay, so now if you're visiting, I'm hoping I haven't scared you off yet, but I want to impress upon you that we, as a family, are on a journey. We haven't arrived. We're not perfect. We'd like to be more committed than we are. And we need you to help us get there. We need to see and hear new things, new perspectives, to empathize with what goes on outside our bubble. We need partners in ministry to join with and be the change in our community for the sake of the kingdom and for the sake of the world. I'm excited for the next couple weeks as we continue unpacking uh, this amazing story that is the book of Ruth. Um, this is kind of the time where we would generally offer um, an invitation, and I will extend that here. We're going to stand and sing in just a little bit. Um, and if, if, you need the, if you need the prayers of this church, prayers of, of the elders of this church, there's going to be people along the walls and in the, in the aisles that will be um, available to pray with. If you want to hear more about, um, about salvation and about, about, what, about what, Jesus, uh, what Jesus means to us and what Jesus can mean for you um, and to respond to the call of the gospel, we offer that invitation as well. But I want to offer a third as we're here together as a family, as we're here together maybe with our own families, um, maybe getting here this morning was kind of a drag. Um, maybe, maybe this week there's been, there's been some difficulty and some tension uh, in your family. And during the singing of this next song, if there's, if there's something that you feel like maybe needs resolved. Maybe you're looking at the story of Ruth and Naomi and the relationship and the commitment that's there and you're thinking, I don't know that I'm there with my family. I need to take a step in that direction. If that means that maybe you don't sing the entire song because you're reconciling with a family member, that's okay. I want to offer that invitation to you as well because this story that we're going to continue unpacking through the next three, three or four weeks is one of strong family commitment. It is one of, of sticking through with each other through thick and thin in the good times and the bad. So I'm going to ask you all to stand as we sing together.